Take your Bibles, turn to Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. Probably shouldn't have sung that much. I couldn't resist, though. It was such, so good to sing those truths together. Titus 2. I don't know what you think about when you think about work, right? I mean, probably in the last six months, we've all had different thoughts than maybe we had in the prior 20 years about work. Um, maybe as you think about work, you think about some sort of manual labor. Uh, I think most of us have done this at some point, either manual labor or customer service, you know, food service, kind of those things where you're working with your hands and you're valuable, uh, in those ways. Maybe that's what you think about. Maybe you think about how in the world do I balance work and life and work is such a huge part of my life. And I always feel like it's out of balance. Anybody ever felt that way? Right? How do I make those choices? Uh, maybe you think like this, you know, like there's a pile of work that is never getting done. And so you're overworked and overstressed. It's amazing the amount of productivity and even unhealthy productivity we have in America. If you compare our expectations of work compared to the rest of the world, we're like crazy workers. The amount of time we work, the lack of time off, the like we are, we're like this a lot. Uh, but maybe if you're a stay-at-home mom who's now not just a worker or a teacher, you're like, I would take that in a heartbeat because this is how I feel at work, <laughs> right? And this is actually probably a nice picture. It's probably a lot crazier than that, a lot. And uh, I think uh, the most efficient and most valued workforce in the country, uh, there you go, a little Chick-fil-A drive through I feel like they need to give tutorials to like every other fast food chain about how to do drive-throughs, about how to be nice, about quality, like, I don't know, they just got it together, and uh, I don't know what you think about work, but there's a hundred places we could go, and the truth is that opinions, I like to say, are like armpits. Everybody's got them, and they all stink. It's just an opinion what you and I think about work, isn't it? Does the rest of the world work too much? Do we work too much? Do we have more time off? Right, that we have a hundred opinions even in this room about work. Actually, was curious, even if we go down to like our teens and below, how many of you do some sort of work? Right? Maybe in the home, maybe outside the home, right? We're all working. I've talked to retired people who tell me they work more retired than they ever did when they had a job. Moms who are workers at home, the Bible tells us. That's the that's the job with the most hours and the lowest pay, isn't it? Right? Work. Work is a reality of our lives, and I'm so thankful that God has talked to us about work. And at the end of the day, he's the one we need to listen to, right? I mean, he, he's why we're here this morning, to praise him, to give to him, to pray to him, and to hear from him. And so as we come to Titus 2, 9, and 10, that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to hear from God about our work. So let's pray together as we do that. Lord, thank you for your truth that is forever settled in heaven, heaven. That it is a lamp to our feet, it's a light to our path. Thank you that you have told us you will make us holy by your truth. Your word is truth. And so we pray that as we come today that we would bow our hearts. No matter what we think, no matter how smart we are, no matter how many books we've read, no matter how frustrated we are or how much we wish things would change, would you help us to bow our hearts before your word and learn from it today? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. 
Titus 2, 9 and 10, it's on page 498 if you're using one of the Bibles in a chair rack in front of you. And here's what God's word says. Bond servants, don't be overwhelmed by that word, it's a pretty straightforward word about workers. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. It's a word for petty theft, not stealing but showing all good faith. Look at this amazing reason. So that in everything, they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. What does God want to tell us about work? Well, I think it's important for us to remember that God created us to work. You know, there are things that God instilled in human existence before sin. And work was one of those things. Work existed before sin. And I actually think there's a bit of a case to be made that work will exist in eternity in some way. That eternity is not some passive existence, but it's actually God's world as it was intended to be, the new heaven and the new earth. And I could take you a couple places. I won't start that controversy, but I think it's an interesting thing to think about. By the way, if you want some shaping, uh, Randy Alcorn has written a great book called Heaven, that would help you think about that a little bit more than like angels and harps on clouds. Um, so that's there for you. I would highly recommend it. But work, is, God created us to work, right? You think about the things created before the fall. Work, rest, food, and physical intimacy. Those things were all eating. Those are all things created before the fall. But work has been damaged by sin, and so it's hard, right? The, the whole idea of thorns and the hardness of work is not just limited to people who work in farming. It's actually part of all. Work is hard. It doesn't matter if you're sitting behind a keyboard or changing diapers. Work is hard. Working with people. Work has been damaged by sin, by the curse, and so it is hard. Genesis chapter 3. So how does God want us to work? Our big idea this morning is just simply this. Healthy Christians work differently because they know Jesus. Our relationship with God transforms, ought to transform, how we work. So what does this text tell us? First, it tells us that there's an inescapable reality of work. An inescapable reality. It kind of looks like this if we want to make it cute with kids. There is someone in charge and someone not in charge. Did you see that? Look at verse 9. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. I mean, if you, if you work in middle management, you actually get to be both, don't you? You get to be boss and employee. But there's this reality of work, and it's something that God built into the universe. He built into the universe authorities and leaders and people who have responsibility below them. And that's true in government. It's true in the home. It's true in the church. You get Hebrews 13, Romans 13, Ephesians 5. God has built structures of in charge and not in charge. The two words here, interestingly, are the generic word for a servant or a slave, doulos, that you might be familiar with. And the other word is interesting. It's basically uh, despotes. You recognize that word? Despot. A person fully in charge. It's an inescapable reality of work. It's the way God has designed it. 1 Peter 2.13 says this. Be subject... Don't miss this. For the Lord's sake to every human institution. 
Let me read that again. Because this is so simple, but it's so hard, isn't it? I mean, how many of you have a perfect boss? For those of you who are bosses, how many of you are the perfect boss? Right? Be subject, submit for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So there's this reality that I can recognize how God has ordered the universe and I can submit my heart to someone who's in charge of me, even if that's hard, because I'm ultimately doing it for God. I'm ultimately submitting my heart to him and I'm doing that in a really practical way by submitting my heart to the person who's in charge of me. Can I talk to our kids real quick, our teens? You know God has done this in the home. He's put moms and ultimately dads in charge of you. And they would be the first one to raise their hand and say, I am not perfect. But do you know what God's called you to do as a Christian child, as a Christian teenager? He's actually said to you, children, obey your parents. Listen to the phrase again. In the Lord. Here's the same idea. For this is right. Honor your father and mother. And God's even said, I made that commandment with a promise of good. I like threw in some extra benefit here. So I, we tell Timothy all the time when he gets frustrated with the way things are going and he starts to want his own way, we say, Timothy, are you in charge? Who is in charge? And often like unhappily, he says, mom and dad are in charge. And it's easy to look at a child and go, yeah, don't you get it? But I wonder in the workplace sometimes if God doesn't look at us as adults and say, don't you get it? There's an inescapable reality. This should cause us to resist the larger movement in our society to tear down all order and authority. Now listen, order and authority is human. So it's prone to abuse of power. And it needs to be held accountable because we are, we are all prone in places of leadership and responsibility to abuse our power. Religious, governmental, police force. That's our nature as humans is to corrupt and abuse our power. So it needs to be held accountable. But it doesn't need to be destroyed and torn down. No one should be above the law or immune to the law. We should seek to support justice and seek justice regardless of race, creed, or position but removing authority and order is not the answer. God set it up that way. And it's a good thing, even when we struggle with it. So there's an inescapable reality to work. But the verse goes on and tells us that as Christians, we should have an intentional approach to work. Look at this. Employees are the predominant ones in focus here. But you could go to Colossians 4 or Ephesians 6 and hear what God has to say to employers. But look at the verses that goes on. They are to be. Here's our list. How do, we, how do we represent our relationship with Jesus in the workplace? They are to be well-pleasing. Not argumentative. Not pilfering. But showing all good faith. An intentional approach to work. Did you see the list there? I mean, this is a really good grid for us to take our heart and our approach to work right through. What should characterize our work? It starts with this, that we would be submissive to our own masters in everything. I touched on that already, but, but that's the simple place God wants us to be. It's a place of lowliness, a place of being willing to follow, being willing to support, of being easily told what to do submissive. 
We don't have to get it all. We don't have to understand the whole big picture. But actually, as we follow God, we put ourselves underneath the leadership and authority of others. And this is true all across our homes. It's even true here at Gospel Hope Church. We have three pastors. And in one sense, we all have equal standing. But in another sense, everybody knows that Danny's our lead pastor. And so Daniel and I will give her ideas. And, and there are times that we're on the, a different side of an issue than Danny. And he might say, you know what, guys? I'll, I'll, I'm going to come that way. But there are also times where he goes, you know, I, I understand how you see it that way, but I think this is what God would want us to do. And you know what? Daniel and I have that responsibility to go, okay. Always lowly. This verse assumes that there will be difficult places to submit, doesn't it? Be submissive in everything. God doesn't leave anything out. But isn't this antagonistic to how our hearts work? Don't our hearts just flare up in wanting our own way? I mean, that's the sin in us. We, we are rebels by nature. We are, don't touch the wet paint, I touch the wet paint. That's how, that's how we are. And it doesn't change because you're not three anymore. It's actually true of adult life. So one of the ways that we reflect our relationship with Jesus at our work is that we're submissive in every way. Always lowly. But look at what it says. It says that this, this Christian employee is actually well-loved. Bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing. They are a pleasure to work with. Can't you just hear Chick-fil-A? It's our pleasure. Our pleasure. My pleasure. As we follow Jesus in the workplace, we ought to be a joy to work with. This past, uh, not this past week, but the week before, I was at a local bank, and I was meeting with a guy named Dale about some questions about if we build additional space for the church, what would our financing look like, and how would we do that, and we had a great conversation. At the end of the conversation, I said, actually, hey, we have some people at our church that, that work at this bank, or with this bank. He goes, yeah, who? And I told them the person's, one of the people's names, and he, his eyes lit up. And he just started to like unprovoked just gush about working with that employee. And it was almost like, have you ever been in a conversation where someone is so overwhelmed by the positiveness of a relationship that they don't even fully know what to say? But they just kind of start saying things like, I, I don't know if there's anyone at this company that I work with that's more of, like they're more helpful, they, they solve problems. And, and then he said, I actually just called this person the other day with a problem and bef almost before we got off the phone, he had it solved and fixed. And he just reiterates again, like, it's just a pleasure to work with that person. That's what this idea is. It's somebody who's well-loved. There's no hesitation. There's no, oh, they're great, but they're well-loved. The quality of their work, the quantity of their work, the character of their work, their relationships at work, it's just all good. And then God tells us two things we shouldn't be at work. See these? They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering. And this makes sense, doesn't it? Since God told us uh, to be submissive, that we wouldn't be stubborn. But again, isn't that where we're prone to be frustrating at work? For a couple years, when I first moved to town, I worked at a local Christian school. And that was both amazing and hard. There were some really great things about it. 
But, but there's a reason that we talk about mama bears. Do you know we talk about mama bears? Because mamas can be bears. And God built them to protect and care, right? Like, like moms in the room, you, you if, if we use like the, the, the mama chicken in a fire illustration, like the mama hen, you, you would cover your babies, wouldn't you? As the fire rolled in at the cost of your own life. That's like, that's the deep, protective, loving heart of a mama, isn't it? But what happens sometimes at Christian schools, some of this happens at churches, is that your staff becomes your mamas. Now, that's a great joy in lots of ways. But I'll tell you, they don't cease to be mamas. And so sometimes, believe it or not, change was really hard because that instinct, right, it came out. It can happen in church. That, that leadership has a clear idea of where they want to go and, and what they think God wants them to do. Maybe there's even just practical changes that need to be made. And you could be like, nope, not doing it. I like the old way. Nope, not doing it. Not till I have all the facts and the facts about the facts. Nope, not doing it. Got to protect these people. We can be stubborn. And God says in the workplace, we, of all people, should be the ones who are easy to entreat. We ought to be the ones, not that we like throw our opinion to the side or don't offer help, but not argumentative. Not stubborn. James 3 verse 17 says it this way, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and the harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Not stubborn, but then not stealing. Now, this should go without saying, but I think we all recognize that the workplace is a natural place for petty stealing, isn't it? The Bible's clear time and time and time again that an employee is worth, worthy of their pay. And they're worthy of that pay in a just and fair way and in a timely manner. But it's easy when we're frustrated, when things haven't gone our way, when we feel unloved, to resort to some sort of minor theft to clock our time incorrectly, to be okay sweeping away some office supplies, to overuse our expense accounts, or keep a little extra company gear. It's easy, isn't it? The word here for pilfering is just that petty sweeping away. And while most of us will never get to the point that we embezzle tens of thousands of dollars, although that does happen too, we may be guilty of a little bit here, a little bit there. Ephesians 4, verse 28, reminds us of the purpose of work. It says this, Let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor working with his hands so that he will have to give to the one in need. And lastly, these verses tell us that at our work, we should be loyal, showing all good faith. We should be able to be trusted we shouldn't be undermining our company or our employer. We shouldn't be causing division. We should be careful. 
We should be able to be trusted with resources, with responsibilities, with the company vehicle. We should be loyal, trustworthy. What a great picture of work. It's convicting, isn't it? I mean, I wonder if these ideas really do describe our work, or if even as we walk through this list, God, the Holy Spirit, just kind of pricked at your heart in some ways. Maybe you do have that mama bear instinct a little bit, and you can be hard to receive change or new ideas, or you can just be stubborn, and you need to get before God and say, God, please forgive me. I've been stubborn. Maybe you haven't been submissive. Maybe you've actually stolen. And if you're honest, you may need to do exactly what Zacchaeus did in Luke chapter 19. There may be some conversations to have and some restitution to make. Can you imagine how God might use it tomorrow? Well, not tomorrow because it's an awesome three-day weekend, right? Yay for three-day weekends. I never really enjoyed them in the pastoral world, but when I was in the working world for about 10 years, I was like, woo-hoo! It was like, especially when 4th of July fell on like a Thursday or Friday and then you got one of those or then you could tack on a day and you got like a four-day weekend. Here's the only problem. You're messed up the entire week. You're like not sure what day it is, right? It takes you like a whole nother week to get back on your normal schedule and flow. But maybe there need to be some conversations with bosses where you walk in and you go, hey, here's $100. And he goes, what's that for? And you go, well, when I, when I was at church yesterday, we were reading, you know, and we were studying God's word together, and I realized that I, I had taken some things from the company, and I, I'm sorry. Can you imagine how powerfully God would use that? If we would get honest about our sin and make restitution and own it? B- because this list is describing what a, a person changed by the gospel should live like, but we all know that this list is not describing how we live every day perfectly. But what really struck me as I studied through this text was this last idea. Look at verse 9. Showing all good faith so that in everything they, we, may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. We've been painting our house. Actually, it was talking to Andy Pelletier. They loaned us a ladder so that I could get the stairwell. Why is the stairwell so hard to paint? Right, like the, the floor's going away from you and the wall's going up. By the way, this is like a totally fake picture. This is so unreal, it's ridiculous. Like, hey, can we get those new shirts we bought that we all look great in? And, and take our six-year-old, right? Like, this dad can only hold this kid for about three minutes anyway. 30 seconds. And then can we paint? This is totally fake, but, but we painted the house. Do you know what changed in our house when we painted it? Did the structure of our house change? No. Did the square footage of our rooms change? I mean, it might have felt a little bigger because we changed from dark to light paint or... The substance did not change. But did our house look better? Boy, we hope so. We picked our paint colors okay, right? Some of you have painted and been like, oh no, we did that once in the bathroom. We painted the bathroom twice. It was a $50 mistake. Why do we paint? We bought our house about a year ago, so Colleen's been nesting in it. Why do we decorate? Why do we wrap a birthday present or a Christmas present? Because that's the picture here of adorning or decorating. Does it change the present? It doesn't. 
But you know what it does? It makes it extravagant. It says it's beautiful. It says this is a big deal. It, it, it elevates it. This word for adorning, see if you can recognize this one, is the Greek word cosmeo, right? Some of you ladies are like, I've spent money there. Me and Cosmeo, we're friends. Some of the guys are like, yeah, you have. I know what Neutrogena says, but wow, that seems like a crazy promise. But it beautifies, it elevates. And that's exactly what God is saying here. And I don't want us to miss this and then think about how incredible it is. God says when Christians work in a transformed way, with honesty, submission, not stealing, trustworthy, they actually exalt, they actually make beautiful what? The truth about who God is. Think about that. God has designed our work to have eternal purpose. And not just because people go, there's something different about you, but because there's a divine reason behind it. It gets lifted up by us. Let me, let me explain to you how that works. Look at this. In everything, they may adorn the doctrine of who? Of God our Savior. Can I tell you what God is like? And think about it in the terms that were just described. God is selfless. God is loving. God is patient. God is giving. God is faithful or loyal. Can I tell you what Jesus is like as our Savior? He is lowly. He is loving. He is easy to approach. He is sacrificing. And he is the perfect friend. You never have to doubt if he'll be there for you. Hebrews 13 says that when we know Christ, he's always with us. And so when we live in that way and people go, what is going on there? We're actually painting, decorating, cosmeticing. We're actually adorning what God is like. And even though people in the world don't fully know how to make that connection, God says, that's the connection I'm making. It's actually a tool to spread the good news of Jesus everywhere is how Christians work. And this is an amazing contrast to the carefulness of the world we live in. You know, brands weren't really a big thing 20 years ago, but there's a whole world of brand management. That means that companies are very careful in who you see representing them on TV. They're very careful about the words they use in their advertising. They're very careful about the colors they choose. They're very careful about all the things that decorate what it means to be Coca-Cola. Or what it means to be Apple. Or what it means to be Google. They're very careful to manage that brand with everything looking perfect. And you know who God chose to, to represent his brand? You and me in the workplace. Think about that. Think about how messed up we are, how imperfect we are, how prone we are to do all those things. Not what God told us to do. And God said, you are the trophies of my grace. Think about that. From a human perspective, I'm like, God could have made a lot better choices. 
And you know what God's saying? No, I did this on purpose. I picked you. That's amazing. So let me ask you two questions and tell you two stories and we'll be done. Two questions. Is my approach to work in whatever form it takes transformed because I know Jesus? Maybe you've never thought of it like this as we read these verses today. But you're like, wow, that's really helpful to know what a Christian ought to look like in the workplace. And then, how is the truth about who God is made beautiful by my work? Turn to Genesis 39. This is actually a story that God led me to pray over when I first forayed out from full-time pastoring into pastoring part-time and working full-time in, in the secular workforce. And I actually prayed that God would do in me exactly what he did through Joseph. Now, we can all agree that Joseph's situation was far from ideal. As best I know, there's nobody in this room that's been sold by their brothers into slavery, right? Or sent across the world outside of their control. But that's what happened to Joseph. And by the way, not just Joseph, that has happened through history. And that ought to break our hearts. Genesis 39. Let's read these six verses. Now Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard, an Egyptian, had bought him from the Ishmaelites who had brought him down there. But verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. And he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his Egyptian master. His master saw that the Lord was with him. Isn't that our prayer in our workplace? That our employers would see that God is with us? And that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. So Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he had made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and in field. So that he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food that he ate. Doesn't that describe uh, lowly, loved, trustworthy, loyal? There's a picture. Can I give you one more as we end? And by the way, if you're wrestling with work, or you have questions about work, we're actually going to have a class starting next week. Um, on Sunday uh, for about eight Sundays about work because work is intended to be something much more than making money for a Christian. And if I could recommend one book that's biblically based and will help you think through work as a Christian, this is the one I recommend. It's called Every Good Endeavor by Tim Keller and I just want to read you a story that had a powerful impact on me. Uh, Tim, Tim Keller's talking about how Christians have an impact in the workplace and he says this, Years ago, I heard one unforgettable example of a Christian who showed integrity and compassion in their work. Not long after we began our new church in New York City, I saw a young woman who was obviously visiting and darting out after each service. That's how some of our visitors feel right now. Is he going to pray? Where's the exit? Okay. I hope not, but you could. One week, I intercepted her with pastors. We tried to catch him, catch him. She told me she was exploring Christianity 
She didn't believe in it at that point, but she found a lot of it interesting. I asked her how she had found Redeemer, that's their church, and she told me this story. She worked for a company in Manhattan, and not long after starting there, she made a big mistake that she thought would cost her her job. But her boss went into his superior and took complete responsibility for what she had done. As a result, he lost some of his reputation and ability to maneuver within the organization. She was amazed at what he had done and went in to thank him. She told him that she had often seen supervisors take credit for what she had accomplished. Anybody ever seen that in the workplace? But she had never seen a supervisor take the blame for something she had done wrong. She wanted to know what made him different. He was very modest and deflected her questions, but she was insistent. Finally, he told her, I am a Christian. That means, among other things, that God accepts me because Jesus took the blame for things that I have done wrong. He did that on the cross. That is why I have the desire and sometimes the ability to take the blame for others. She stared at him for a long moment and asked, where do you go to church? He suggested she go to Redeemer, and so she did. His character had been shaped by his experience of grace in the gospel. And it made his behavior as a manager attractive and strikingly different from that of others. This lack of self-interest and ruthlessness on the part of her supervisor was eventually life-transforming for her. Is that how we see work? As a way that God wants to decorate the truth about himself through us. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for the gift and design of work. We know that it is imperfect and broken in so many ways. But from teenagers to adults to retirees, we have an amazing opportunity, an amazing gift to live out knowing Jesus, having a Savior, knowing the one true God in our work. God, would you dig deep in our souls and root out the selfishness and sinfulness that so often marks our work? Would you bring us to repentance and faith and restitution where need be? God, if, if you want, would you, would you cause some in this room to have important conversations with their unbelieving bosses even this week? And would you give us grace to reflect the amazing salvation you've given us in our work? It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.